0: Uh, if you'll turn to 2 Peter chapter one, that was read a moment ago. We're going to return back there because it's it's a graphic image of what we're going to be talking about tonight. Uh, and but there's no particular text really, other than that passage right there. We're going to look at um, three ways, um, or, or three areas, uh, that apathy shows up. But before we start with that, let me let me give what one author describes stealing this definition. It is not mine. I'm not claiming this is my own at all, but I really like the definition. I want you to look at the screen and see our definition. A a psychological and spiritual sickness in which we experience a prolonged dampening of motivation, effort, and emotion. Motivation, effort, and emotion, as well as resistance to the things that would bring flourishing to ourselves and others. It's not that we don't know what we should be doing. We just can't make ourselves do it. That is what apathy is. It's not ignorance. It's just we lack motivation, effort, and emotion. It is a condition that expresses itself as restlessness, aimlessness, laziness, uh, and joylessness toward the things of God. Why on a Sunday night would I be talking about this to the Sunday night crowd, who often is, you know, you're self-motivated people. Well, that can be very misleading, actually. And we can all acknowledge it about ourselves because we all know, every one of us has these certain parts of our lives where we know we should be doing something that would strengthen our spiritual resolve here. But I, can't, I just can't make myself do it. And that is what apathy is. So many words can be used to describe the symptoms of this, the way it shows up. But if, here's the picture I think of. If you've ever seen anyone who's being treated by, uh, for some serious depression, as they're trying to find the right mixture of medications, they start taking them, and you will find them like there's a certain time period where they seem to be completely constant, with no emotion whatsoever. If you've ever seen this, you know what it looks like. And that is kind of how we are spiritually. We're going through the motions, but we have this blank look. That's kind of what apathy is. Um, And and we all have certain expressions of this. (coughs) But remember, this is assumed. We're assuming some things with this. First, you are a believer who uh, wants to follow and be like Jesus. You are a person who's, you're a baptized person. I I have a hard time believing an, an unbeliever or a person who's not serious enough to be baptized would ever worry about apathy. That's just part of the unbelieving life. This we're talking about tonight is a person who is a believer and wants to be a follower of Jesus, wants to be like Jesus. That is their, They would say to you, yes, I want to be like Jesus. That's the Sunday night crowd and others. Second, you know what you need to do to pursue that. It's not like, well, I'm stumped. What do I need to do to position myself to be more like Jesus? I, I know what I need to do. There are certain things in Scripture I know. I should, be, I should be in communion with God every day in prayer. I should be reading His Word, knowing what His Word is. It's the sword of the Spirit, so why wouldn't I have that? I should have some still time with Him. There's several things like that. You have done those things before and found them to be effective and pleasurable to you. You have had seasons and times where you engage in these activities and it revived you and you know the strength it gave you. But for some reason, all these things are true, but right now, right now, you aren't really motivated to do it. You know you should, you ideally want to, or I would like to say, I'd say it this way, You want to want to, but you, some reason you're just on empty. There's any number of reasons, and in the weeks to come we'll be looking at reasons why this might happen. But the spiritual practices that are designed to bring you life, things like prayer and being still with God and reading Scripture and even worship and even serving others and doing good, they just don't seem to produce the joy and the excitement and the life in us that you want. You then develop this lack of diligence in these things. You no longer want to pursue them because you just don't seem to get anything out of them. And then you become a little bit restless. And then you want to pursue anything and everything other than those things when the time comes where you actually have the option of choosing to engage in these activities, you find anything else in the world to do. Any other distraction looks appealing to you other than doing these things that you know you need to do. And it becomes a laziness. And you do the bare minimum. And you long for anything else to take up your time than that. And you can't seem to make yourself do it. And you become bored with spiritual things. Okay, would anybody just admit that you get those moments like that? Would anybody admit it? I have elders raising their hands. I appreciate the honesty because I think we have seasons like this when we need to talk about this and what do you do about it. I'm going to describe it from Scripture. I'm going to, I'm going to let us know that the, you know uh, God's people have struggled with this a long time. Here's the first thing in that definition where it hits. This is where you see it. I lack the motivation. I just can't get moving toward these things. I cannot make myself do them. I even lecture myself, and I even get on to myself, and I even like it when the preacher gets on to me, and you like it when he steps on your toes, but Monday morning, it doesn't change a thing. That's when you know your motivation is a problem, and your concern from the problem is not enough to overcome it. I can relate this to another thing in your life that you know as well as I do. And some of you, I mean, when Wally Stanley's gonna look at me and say, What are you talking about? Okay, some of you are gonna, we all know we need to eat better and exercise more. Do you know that? Does everybody know this? Right? And you see the latest fads and fashions and take this pill and you'll lose weight and you'll do and everybody runs to all that because it's a shortcut. We think, what a great thing. I don't have to do any of it. I can just take that pill. It doesn't work. None of it works. Quit. You know it doesn't work. You know you're being lied to. You're only buying it off that commercial because you want to believe it so bad. But what you know is the only real thing to get you healthy is to eat better and move more. So why don't you? Why can't we get ourselves to do it? Now, there are some people that suddenly become wanting to because they had a heart attack or they've been diagnosed with diabetes. And now if I exercise, you can work yourself out of diabetes. Well, here they go, and they start doing it. But why didn't they do it before? There Some people, they get really winded, and they find that, they hey, when I get my grandkids, I'm not going to be able to run after them because I can go three steps and and have to sit down on a stool somewhere. And that motivates you. Suddenly, you decide, I'm going to do some of that. But but short of that, what about spiritually? What is it that's going to make you do what you know you need to do when you don't feel like doing what you know you need to do. What's going to do it? And I guess if I solved that on a Sunday night, I, this would go viral, right? If you could actually solve that. We might compare this uh, to Mount Carmel. Elijah comes out and says, God's ready to turn on the faucet again. Their faucets have been off for over three years. God will turn on the faucet, but gather around, people, gather around. Now, you choose right now, you choose God and follow him, or you choose Baal and follow him. And he looks at the people and says, what say ye? And does anybody remember what the next line is? They answered him, not a word. Well, I'm not, I just don't know. Why don't they know? But you know what? It's about, oh, maybe eight, ten hours later, they answer pretty excitedly. What makes them go from, eh, to, yes, it's God? What makes them do it? Fire from heaven. Boom! That motivates you. That's what you need, isn't it? God, Monday morning, when I'm trying to decide I've got 30 minutes, do I read Scripture or do I watch this on TV? God, please send me fire. Boom! Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be great? That would solve your problem forever. The thing is, you can't do. It. It's not going to happen that way. So, what is it that we can do that will nurture a motivation to do that? We'll, we'll talk about it. I'm just saying that's the first area where it shows up. Is you can't make yourself do what you know you need to do, even though you know full well that's the only thing you need to do to do what you should be doing. Yeah. Second, you lack the effort. There seems to be no use or purpose for this, and so you give up trying. Just, it doesn't do anything. You come to depend on other people uh, to structure any activity of your spiritual life. This line is indicting. The only spiritual nourishment you get is what the church provides in community. This tells you why church attendance is so incredibly important, because for many of our people, it's all they get. True? It's all they get. They have lost their motivation. They've lost that sense that i need to be dynamically involved in this in my own life pursuing god on my own but no no i'll let the church guide me i'll just let the church guide me in this and this is all they get this is not good y'all and the church was never created by god to be the only thing you do to nourish your soul it was never created like that but we've come to accept that right and that's why when when this pandemic comes along we shut the church down It becomes more dangerous than we ever thought it was, because that was some people's only nourishment, and when it it goes, you got none. There's none there, and 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 how to now? It should never be that way. But the, the lack of effort. Remember, this is not a knowledge problem. It's not that I just don't know. No, it's not that you don't know. I just don't want to expend the energy to actually do these things. They don't work sufficiently for me. It's not simple and easy, and I don't read Scripture. I don't read Scripture for five minutes in the morning and feel this amazingly miraculous lift uh, that guides me through the rest of the day, and so therefore I just lose interest in doing that. It doesn't work like that, does it? And yet we want it to, and when it doesn't, we quit doing it. I can think a couple of times like in Scripture. I want you to go back with me in your mind to the scene, Jesus and three of the inner ones are up on a hill, up on a mountain, and they have this amazing religious experience. The others don't have that experience, but they are having an experience. It's with a, a father and his demon-possessed son at the foot. You remember this story? It's, throw the boy into the water and the fire to kill him. They bring, it to the, bring this boy to the disciples to cast out the evil spirit, and the disciples suddenly can't do it. It's not because they've never done it. They've done it before. They've been given authority and power by Jesus to do it, but suddenly they can't do it. It's alarming to them. What in the world? We've already done this. We've gone all over and we've been able to do this. Why all of a sudden is this power gone out? The power cord's not connected to the outlet, right? And they don't know what to do. And, and Jesus comes back down and this father's there. And he's, man, you can imagine the urgency uh, the sense of emergency in him, and he runs, and he says, and Jesus cast out the evil demon. Of course, the disciples asked the most obvious question in the world. Thank goodness. Sometimes Scripture doesn't answer our question, but this is one where it does. Do you remember his answer when they asked him, why couldn't we drive that sucker out? What did Jesus say? Anybody remember? This kind can only come out by prayer or prayer and fasting. So, what does that mean? The disciples haven't been praying. Right? Here's what the disciples thought. We've been baptized. He's given us the power. We can just go, can just cruise from here on out. We got what we need. So let's run out there and do it as if a one-time feeling is all we need. All we need is that one thing. And we got that one thing. We got. I've been baptized, y'all, and I can coast through the rest of my life. And many people believe it. But you see, the Christian faith is designed to need to be constantly nourished. He never intended this to be like a filling that never goes, it never goes away, never wanes, and you just kind of cruise through life and you don't need to contact him anymore. It is designed to be a constantly in contact with God and being filled up. And if you don't, you'll lose it. You will absolutely lose it. And How do you explain, for instance, how many in here when you were baptized were filled with the Holy Spirit? Raise your hand, y'all. If you've been baptized, you've been right. the same thing, right? Okay. So what does he mean when he's writing to people who've been baptized and filled with the Spirit, and he says to the Ephesians, be filled with the Spirit? What? We were baptized. Yep. But be filled with the Spirit. He's telling them something. Don't think that you have this experience and that's all you need. You need to keep going to the source and keep being nourished and, and cultivating the Spirit's role. And if you don't feed and constantly nourish the Spirit role in your life, you will lose it. And it sounds a lot like Samson. Do you remember the line it says about Samson? He got up to fight him after they cut his hair off, and he didn't even know the Holy Spirit had left. Didn't even know it. And I think some of us live our lives thinking, I've been baptized, I go to church every Sunday, that's all I need, and I'm just going to cruise through life. And then you hit something. You hit something like this, and it rocks your world, and you're like, where is my depth? Where is my breadth? Where is the maturity? Where is the growth? Where is the sustenance that's going to hold me through this and get me through this mess? You need it, but you've got to constantly be feeding on the Holy Spirit. And these things that He gives us, Scripture is full of them. And we sometimes look at fasting and we just think, that's crazy. Prayer, yeah, just you know, utter a few lines on your way to work and, and all these other things. And God is saying, do you not get this? So Jesus, it says, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petition with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard for his reverent submission. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered and became the source of eternal salvation for all who obeyed him. Do you know how he made it through this earthly sojourn perfect? He prayed, but not like we often do. If you do not, you'll run on low, and you'll find one day you're empty. You're empty at a time where you need to be full. And it could cost you your spiritual life. And so the reading a moment ago, 2 Peter chapter 1. I want you to hear, because Peter in this book says more than anywhere else, make every effort. You've got to do something. God is all about grace. He is. But you got to do something. You've got to position yourself for this. And so he says, verse 5, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith. Go on to virtue. Make that faith apply to your actual behaviors and become virtuous. And then keep feeding that knowledge And that knowledge will start uh, being activated in your life, and you'll become a person of self-control. I know what my body wants, but I know what my God asks for, and I'm going to give him what he asks for. My knowledge is going to overrule my feelings. That's got to happen, and if it doesn't grow into that, you are going to be an immature, sensuous Christian who's only faithful if you feel like it. That's what'll happen. And the self-control, steadfastness, absolutely steady as a rock, constant, because you know what's right and what's wrong. And steadfastness becomes godliness. You look more and more like God, and then all of a sudden you add to that as you become like God, you love your brothers more and more, and then love the top of it all. This is a progression. Notice what he says. If these qualities are yours and they keep increasing, they will keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful. Many Christians are ineffective and unfruitful because they're apathetic. They are no longer growing and pursuing and making Every effort, anyone who ever told you that salvation is free, God gives it to you, and His grace is just there all your life, and you don't have to make any effort, is lying, bold-faced to you. And if you lack these qualities, by the way, you're nearsighted and blind. It's going to take effort, and anyone who ever tells you, no, you just cruise along, it's a simple thing. Christian life is easy. Has never lived it very long. We lack effort. We lack motivation. We lack effort. And the last one is, I lack the emotion that comes with this. And I see this a lot in me. I see this a lot in others. Maybe maybe because we're rational so much, but... Uh, Here's the two areas where this becomes a problem in our lacking of emotion. I wait until I feel like it to do it. But I can't, I just can't muster the emotional desire to do this. And here's the other one when I do these things, it doesn't change my emotion. I don't have the boost from it. I don't have the encouragement. There are times when I read Scripture and pray, and I just don't feel the energy flowing from it. And because I don't feel anything before, and I don't feel anything after, I just don't do it. And I do feel for that. It, I, I think uh, the number one problem of this kind is sin. David in Psalm 51, is very, he has this great line as he's repenting of his sin with Bathsheba, and he says, Restore to me the joy of of your salvation. Restore to me. You know what he's saying? I lost the joy of your salvation. I I somehow on that whole year that he went with unconfessed sin, he was this he was this just lifeless, emotionless guy going through the motions. He had plenty of emotions, but no emotion with it. And he says, "You you broke my bones." Restore to me the joy of your salvation. I, I think we should pray this more. God, I, I want to do what you ask me to do, but Father, please, when I do it, help me to feel the joy that comes from having done the right thing, and help me to know. That's why I think when, when Paul writes his letters, he says, "Grace to you, which is a doctrine, and peace." which is the result. I hope God gives you grace. He's given you grace. And I hope you feel it enough that it produces peace. And there's a wonderful emotion called peace. And it doesn't require everything being right in your life either, does it? David is saying, I think, and uh, the interesting thing is, is that when at the end of Psalm 51, he says, Then... I can teach transgressors your way again. You know what he's saying? Without that joy, I'll never share my faith with anyone. And part of the reason some of us don't share our faith at all is the joy isn't there. So what are we selling? Something we don't seem to be changed by. When time with God is flat and purposeless and leads to no change in me, it's awful hard for me to go back to it again. And so it becomes this cycle. Do I pray and count on God to propel my emotions so that I can pray again? Or do I wait until I feel like it before I pray at all? And if I'm waiting before I feel like it, I may never get to it. And if I don't pray, then I don't feel it. And therefore, it becomes this cycle. And I've got to figure out how to start it again, right? I'm sabotaging myself. Now, these three things, this motivation and effort and emotion, these are the three things in that definition that say this is where you see apathy in your life. And if we are honest, we all see it at different places. But there could be other causes. There are other things like this. There's depression itself that has symptoms of apathy. Uh, A person going through depression, sometimes just nothing that made him life worth living seems worth doing when they're in the middle of depression. And that could be something totally different than apathy. Apathy on its own. There's another one called despondency, if you want to call it that. It's when you go through this severe experience of doubt or discouragement and you just don't have anything left to do any of these things. And God understands that. That's time limited. There are times in your life When you and God will be at odds with each other. I can vouch for this. I can vouch for this. You will be going through this thing, and you just don't feel like talking to him. And that's when we need each other to talk to our God for us. Because those seasons come, but they don't last forever. You get through those things, and God uses them, which leads to another one, a dry spell in your life. The greatest example of the despondency is Psalm 88, the saddest chapter in the entire Bible and certainly the saddest, weirdest psalm of all. There's no hope. There's no light. It ends with the word darkness, and the psalmist has no no sense of faith and hopefulness, but here's the interesting thing. The psalm is a prayer. He feels... Totally separated from God with no hope, and yet there he is praying. It's the last vestige of hope. It's a conversation with God. I think it's a beautiful, sad, very dark, melancholy psalm. But then the dry spell is like Psalm 22 where, uh, my, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But by the, end of the, by the end of the psalm, you realize God isn't forsaking him. He just feels like it for a time. And I'll, I'll tell you the, the strangest story in Scripture that I still have weird feelings about. The serial Phoenician woman, if you remember, she had a daughter who was near death and comes to Jesus. She's not a Jew, obviously. And so she comes to Jesus and says, will you heal my daughter? And Jesus says, does anybody remember what his response to this woman was? Very cruel. You don't take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs, calling her a dog. Does that sound like Jesus to you? You dog? You're not a Jew. Sorry, I can't help you. It just seems so... It's a... Talking about like it's puts up a wall and slams it in her face, right? And then, and then he just kind of waits there. It's kind of a pause, and she comes up with this great response. Yes, Lord, but even the dogs will pick up the crumbs that fall under the table. And what I see here, there is no, there's no expression given in Scripture, but I see a very subtle smile on the face of Jesus because he's drawn out of her through this difficult response, this faith that is beautiful to him. There are dry seasons in the Christian life. It's called wilderness. There are dry seasons where God intentionally makes you feel a distance with him. I don't know why he does this, but Scripture bears this witness, and there's just times like this, and you just got to pull through it, but it's a, a, a time-limited period of time a dry spell and every, every Christian will know this but it's hard and sometimes apathy goes beyond all three of these and you just wonder how am I going to muster this and it looks like this you come to even hate spiritual productivity and finding it meaningless I, just, I go to church, I go to class and blah, I'm restless I can't sit still for spiritual things I'm lazy in prayer. You go long periods of time where you don't talk to God at all. You lack the discipline to make yourself do anything of spiritual significance. There's nothing I'm going to draw out of myself and be persevering for nothing. Right? I lack scripture reading. I have this relaxed soul that has no compulsion or diligence for anything. I'm discontent, and I lack love and joy for God. Been there? Done that? All right, we've set up for three weeks the most depressing series of lessons ever. And I've I've brought you to the depths and make you go, man, are you depressing me? Okay. I'm asking you to look in your life, past, present, and acknowledge there are times like this in your life. And I'm telling you, that for the next week, until we start looking at what are the causes of these and what can you do about them, I want, you to tell you, I want to tell you what the greatest piece of advice I can give to anybody for this. Do them anyway. Do them anyway. There are times when you don't feel close, you don't feel passionate, you don't feel diligent, You just old-fashioned discipline do what you know you should do. And you trust God with the rest. That's what you do while you're waiting for an answer. So next week or whenever we come back together and talk about this again, we're going to start talking about what causes these things because there are some very real things that could be what you can do about them. But in the meantime, look at your life. Label every once in a while, as we've said, label it. This is where I'm at, that apathetic, right here. And just do what you know you ought to do until God finally ends it with your cooperation. If anybody needs any spiritual attention tonight from this congregation, we are always open to receive you. If God's dealing with it in your own brain, that's enough. But if you need this church... We stand ready to receive you as we stand and as we sing.